Today's episode of Industry Town, brought to you by John Rosenfeld Studios, is a real barn burner. Today's guest is a dear friend, a remarkable talent, and the only person I know who still gets DVDs from Netflix. Andrew Carlberg is a multiple award-winning, incredibly prolific film, television, Broadway, and L.A. stage producer. He stops by to share his journey from blockbuster videos in Charlotte, North Carolina, all the way to the stage of the Dolby Theater in Hollywood, California for last year's Oscars. Andrew and I met a decade ago and have been friends ever since, getting the chance to work on multiple projects together like Castle, DirecTV's Full Circle, and even jointly investing in a couple Broadway shows. When it comes to knowledge of the business, he's like Google and Wikipedia put into one. We talk about his career, what the hell a producer actually does, why he hates the word networking but is really, really good at it, before deep diving into his work producing the Oscar-winning short film Skin. It's a great conversation filled with practical advice for everyone navigating life in LA, and I can't wait to share it with you. Here we go. Lock it up. Very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Hello, Andrew Carlberg. Hello, Brian Norris. Thank you for coming to Industry Town. I'm happy to be here. Um, I want to start with a really practical question. Uh, people who've heard the intro already will have heard some of your resume and whatnot. They, they'll know by now that you're a producer. I want you to tell me, what the fuck does a producer actually do? I mean, it honestly varies project to project, but there's, um, I kind of look at it as the person putting the whole piece together and all the all the pieces of the puzzle. Um, but, you know, there's projects where you come in at, at just one stage and you like are really focused on one aspect, whether that's casting, whether that's post through distribution, whether that's financing, you know, but um, I th- think kind of where my bread and butter is, is like that from from origin of the story for the life of the film show whatever it is, um, is kind of what it is. So it's hiring department heads, it's casting the film, it's supporting your director in every way you can, all that good stuff. How did you learn to do this job? I mean, you just, you really learn, I feel like a lot of it is learning as you go, learning by experience, you know. Um, I mean, you learn lots of practical things in, in school about about filmmaking, but that's much more like, how do you edit? How do you do sound? How do you, and you learn a little bit here and there, you know, especially when you go to a liberal arts school that has, you know, a degree in film versus like a conservatory. Did um, you get your degree in film? I had a media studies and production degree and an English lit degree. And, um, but I think that, you know, I, th- I would say that, you know, really how you learn is just by doing. And it's, uh, and that's why so many people I think can become good producers that do other things because it's a skill set that like you kind of accumulate a lot of different a lot of different elements and and there's other jobs that you learn that that in and it can apply over over in this field did you know what you were getting into when you got out here uh very quickly like it took me like being here for a week you know to be like oh i want to produce like just watching people at the internship i was at and stuff and i was like seeing what the producers did there and what were you watching them do that you were like i I mean i said i I can like assembling all the parts you know i mean trying to make something a reality you know especially on the ground level and like obviously you know there's a high concentration on story and networking and connections and an interest in people so Okay, and from the beginning, did you did you get that a producer doesn't just supply the money, or was that a new education for you? Um, I I I knew a little bit that they didn't just supply the money for sure, but like I mean, obviously, I didn't realize how how many other varieties of producers there could be. When you came out to LA, well, let's go back to your background a little mm-hmm. bit on this. Were you particularly artistic before you got out there? Were you involved in that? Or was it, I like leading people. I like putting together large puzzles. Was it right. both? I think it's both. I mean, definitely, I was always an arts kid. I went to conservatory when I was super young for acting and then did it throughout all my growing up in terms of drama, music, 
all sorts of stuff. So, um, and I had always been a huge film buff, and it made complete sense actually. So you worked at Blockbuster for a while, right? I did for a long while. That was like, that's like a <laughs> wonderful experience to you, right? Don't, I feel yeah. like you have some really heartwarming feelings about. No, that. I loved working. It was like the best first job you could ever have because it's like, and you got free rentals, and you got to inform what other people rented. You know, you were a tastemaker. Um, yeah, you really were, and so, uh, um, and and everybody like wanted to work there too like you either wanted to work at Blockbuster or the movie theater if you were like into that kind of stuff where are you from initially Charlotte North Carolina uh Charlotte proper or like uh suburbs Charlotte proper, yeah. So did that feel like a big city growing up? What did that feel like to you? I mean, we were on, even though our address was like a Charlotte, North Carolina address, we were definitely like on the outskirts. We were like the southernmost part of the city. But like, even now, you know, it's grown so much that we're we are now in the city. You know what I mean? But like, we were never really out of the city. It was just a little bit more suburban to start. Were your parents supportive of creative endeavors and I'm going to go to Los Angeles to make movies? 100%. Yeah. So there was never any doubt from them. Was there any doubt from anybody in your life? I don't know. I don't, not to my recollection, honestly. I think that I was pretty, pretty fortunate that like I have a very supportive core group, very supportive family. Um, and you know they had each at different points dabbled in television and stuff and, and worked in that capacity, so they were very familiar with all this. Um, so yeah, I mean it was a pretty understood thing. So my understanding of you has always been someone who knew what he wanted and was pretty unafraid to go after it, which I mean a ton of creatives, and I would say that's a huge exception. Most mm-hmm. of them seem like they are always worried that they're uh, not necessarily that they don't know the rules, or that they sure. or that they're going to upset the apple cart along the way, right. or they've been tradition uh, uh, tra- trained to people please. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's just luck for you that 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 isn't kind of how you interact with the world? Is was there a moment that you decided to to? I mean, I've that? definitely overstepped my boundaries over the years, and you like learn what those those realities are either asking somebody something you shouldn't ask or um or you know being too bold in your assumptions but uh i think it's just like yeah how i approach this it. like i think that like everything is can be as accessible as you want it to be but i think there's always that fine line that you have to walk and of you know asking for what you want but also you know, not being intrusive into somebody else's world or taking for granted where you stand in their eyes. I gotcha. Okay, so mm-hmm. you're a young guy, you're coming out to LA. Mm-hmm. Within a week, you're saying you're figuring out you want to be a producer. So, what was your strategy like hitting the ground running? You get here, what was your first week like? I mean, my first week was just like looking all around this place and being like, what is the, I mean, you know, making <laughs> sense of it. And I was like living in. You know, I, I I lived in Oakwoods, which is like I feel like a rite of passage for so many people, like in Burbank. You know, and mm-hmm. I was working in Santa Monica, so my commute already was just insane. You came out with a job already. I had an internship. Right. How you did know? you get that internship? Had, Where was it? I was part of an alum uh, a internship program that my school facilitated for students from UNC Chapel Hill that were moving out here, and so I got placed in this internship. So that was good because I I knew some people out here that were moving out here at the same time, and then. I also had something to fill the days and I also had like my internship I believe was an everyday internship I'm like trying to reflect I think I was there every day I was definitely there three days a week, but I think I was a five day a week intern and so um, what were you doing where was it it was at Beacon Pictures which was in Santa Monica and you know it was reading scripts covering phones you know just did you feel basic, prepared for like those things? assistant stuff. Sometimes, in, I mean, they taught you as you, when you got there, you know what I mean? You had like, there was an internship coordinator who I'm still very close with. And, you know, they teach you, you know, what to do and all that kind of stuff. Because I feel like a lot of us have the image that your first internship will be like swimming with sharks and your bo- boss is going to be Kevin Spacey. He's right, going to be right, out right. to destroy you. And uh, any mistake you make is going to no, be No, 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 no. But I mean, I mean I, there's definitely assistance assistant jobs like that but this was very much like um, I mean it was a lot of grunt work too and it was doing runs and different things like that but it wasn't abusive by any means do you feel like you learned anything from that grunt work that is key to where you are today yeah like you said you were like you had like a very real observation of how like people were approaching like getting things off the ground and that first internship led to my first job which you know I worked for Lori Zacks for 
four and a half years and that was the only boss I really ever had. And so like I learned so much from her. And what were you doing with her? I was her assistant. As she worked on? Castle, but I mean like we had, she had developed was developing, you know, consistently throughout the time, but Castle was definitely the biggest hit that we had out of it. So you're working on this TV show, and then they're developing other TV shows yeah, at yeah. the same time. For so ABC you're getting Studios. a really firsthand look at how the sausage gets made. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, does that mean you're also seeing people around you regularly say, oh, hey, let's go reach out to this movie star, this TV star, this great director, and this is how you do it? I mean, yeah. I mean, television, I mean, obviously has changed even so much from. 10 years ago in terms of how shows are getting made versus network and this is pre-streaming shows and all that kind of stuff but you know you're always going after the biggest auspices to try to make something happen but as you also know it's like the biggest auspice in TV doesn't necessarily mean the most successful show fair enough okay so right out of the box you you have this internship you're coming here one thing I've also noticed about you is like you work as consistently and, and constantly mm-hmm. as anyone I know. And that includes networking. That includes mm-hmm. just being a part of the community and being Which seen. I've actually grown to like dislike the term networking, I think. I, and I mean, I was like somebody that like jumped on that term early on and people use it all the time. Because I, I don't, some of it's conscious and some of it's really not like I think people for a lot of people networking feels like work like I am a very social person and I would rather be out every night of the week than in every night of the week so when I'm like constantly seeking out from it's a selfish endeavor in terms of just like I like going to movies I like going to plays I like going to dinner I like going to drinks and it doesn't feel like work you know and I'm genuinely interested in the people I'm going out with and it's a lot of times it's friends like people I think people also think networking is is a new person a day type of thing and that's not what it is it's like it's seeing certain people regularly enough so that you're like invested in their life and they're invested in your life you know and I and having genuine curiosity about what they do I can always tell when somebody's like quote unquote networking with me versus like actually interested in what I do and has no agenda beyond like how does this organically play out at the end of the day so do you prefer a different term than networking i haven't coined it yet but when i do i'll write a book with that title fantastic fair enough um I, I'm going to tell everybody how we met because to me this yeah. is instructive of it. Mm-hmm. I was doing a play, Treefall mm-hmm. at Rogue Machine, and I remember getting, I think, a Facebook message Probably. from you because I don't think you would have had my email address. Right. And it was just, I really, I, I <laughs> it's my favorite part of the story. I didn't like the play, uh, but I really liked you. Oh my gosh. And I'd love to just have coffee and yeah, meet yeah. you. And there's two things that are so interesting to me about that. One is how kind of, how how Andrew Carlberg that is the uh-huh. lack of fear to do that the ease with which you did it and the right. and the normalcy of that experience and what was also instructed to me is how uh, surprising that felt because mm. I don't think I am always the best I mm. often w- think I want to be outside meeting everybody but right. I start doubting and I wonder do right. I know the right thing to say will they be interested in what I have to say. And I learned a lot from how easy it was to make a friendship and a connection with you that came entirely from an email you weren't afraid right. to send. Right, and I and I would say even with that, like there was no real agenda other than just like, oh, this is somebody that seemed intriguing, and I want to welcome them into my life. But like, and I feel like. Uh, while in hearing it out loud it sounds like a very dick comment to say that like oh I didn't like the play but like but I do think you can pull out like with any film and and TV and theater like not everything is the complete package but you can see you're like oh that's an amazing element of this thing and whether that's the sound design whether that's the the color whether that's the cinematography and it's like and you do and you're like you pick out the pieces they're like the you know that you ultimately want to stick with and stuff but um yeah, I think that, like, I mean, the worst someone can do is just not respond or not see it, you know what I mean? And so there's really no risk to it. I've never had a bad a bad situation come out of something like that. What percent of your, let's not call it network, let's call mm-hmm. it group of the, who are in the Carlberg web, Sure. how many of them come about from some kind of meeting like that where it's a it's reaching less out? Less now, it's less vague. I mean, more now, like, you know, it'll maybe be at the recommendation of somebody else it'll be whether it's a manager or another colleague they'll be like you really should meet this person or whatever and they'll want to facilitate that meeting I still reach out to people from time to time or I'll ask somebody 
for an introduction. It's much like when back then I knew so few people to begin with, so I, you had to do it directly. But now it's like, and Facebook's incredible in that way. And it's like, where it's like, it tells you every connection you have with them. So you can literally say like, hey, I'm curious to meet so-and-so. And most people feel very empowered to make that introduction as long as it feels like they're not going to be embarrassed in the process. So if someone is new to this town, they're an actor, mm-hmm. they're creative, they're they're on the other side of the camera, they're anywhere involved, and they want to figure out how to get started. What is your advice to them? Not to network, let's get rid of no, that gross I, word, I, but let's all, talk about how do you grow that network. I mean, I think it's all in, I, I, and I really don't know, I can't, it's hard to advise on how to finesse your, but like I was literally on the phone as we were driving in, to, to this today was somebody who had reached out to me on Facebook and they had gone to my university and they had reached out and I was like, you know, I didn't have time to meet, but I had time for a phone call just to say hello and, and hear what they were were about and what they were wanting to do. And but then there's plenty of people where I just say I don't have time and I don't. It's you can you kind of just filter through what you feel like the agenda is and whether you think it's a worthwhile thing to do. And I don't know what how to advise really what the. Uh, what the right way to do that is. Well, I think that there's some ingredients in there that are the right way. I think people don't use their collegiate network enough mm-hmm. um, because every collegiate network has people in Los Angeles and New York and a couple mm. of the major cities in the world. That's obviously there. But then the don't be afraid to ask and I, actually reach out and, and, and then the bigger go thing, out all the time. And I think the bigger thing also is like you have to have a genuine interest and the work somebody does. I'm always amazed when somebody like reaches out. It may be somebody I even know, and I'm like, I haven't, I know for a fact you haven't come to any play I've ever produced. I know for a fact you haven't seen any movie I've ever made. So it's like, what, why do you want to meet with me? And like, what's like, I, and I take that opposite. I never meet with somebody that I don't like know what they're about and what work they've done. And, you know, obviously if somebody sets up, a general with you and it was somebody who did a show on Broadway years ago and you were like, oh, I just didn't happen to catch that. That's one thing. But you know, if like, if you've lived in the same city and this person's been in your orbit, like you've had the opportunity to go out. And like, if somebody reaches out and says like, I really dug X, Y, or Z, I'm much more inclined to like respond. Cause like they've done, they've done a service to me, you know, and they've supported something I've done. Well, so those are, so those are key yeah. ingredients. That means you, you know, are willing to get out there, but there's an honest interest in it. There's, mm-hmm. there's cultivating your aesthetic as you go and mm-hmm. actually taking the time to find those people. And the thing that I, I will say about you more than almost anybody I've ever met is you are out all that you go right. to every theater. You maybe, maybe not as much now cause you're busier than you used to be, but right. you see every movie at some point. You're still, do you still get the Netflix DVDs? I do still get the Netflix DVDs. I love that about that is my favorite piece of Andrew Carlberg. I just watched Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die via Netflix DVD Holy this week. Shit. That's amazing. But I love that there is an insatiable desire yeah. for movies, theater, uh, comedy, music, whoever. And you know, it, it's funny. At some point, I realized I thought, "Oh man, I've got this friend Andrew, and he should meet this person I know and this person I know." And then I realized you knew all of them already. Right, right. At some point, you just lapped me on that, right. and that was a thing to behold. I do think mm-hmm. that there might be some practical ingredients to it, but part of it is a superpower for you, I think, of having the endurance to do it, the bandwidth to know all of those different places, the taste to know which places are actually right. going to be useful to you, and to use all of that to mm-hmm. forge genuine connections. I think that there's some basic ingredients that would work for a lot of people, but I think you're the kind of package that that can run with that and make sure. the most out of that. And it's right, right. it's impressive as hell. Oh, thank you. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do want to feel like if someone, I don't want this to be, how do you get in touch with Andrew Carlberg? Because mm-hmm. um, I don't think that's fair. But I do think if people want to learn how to uh, increase their connections more, if you had to give one piece more than anything, what would be the biggest piece of advice to someone who's like, my network's small, and I, I want to make it genuine, I want to make it feel good. Right, right, right. I and, mean, I, like I said, I would say like, when you see something that you like in, in any medium, just try to reach out to somebody on that project or in that, and just give the compliment and see where the connection, I mean, direct message the person on Instagram. It doesn't have to be a creepy message. It can just be like, I just saw this and it was amazing and blah, blah, blah. And like people will acknowledge stuff like that. And like, you know, once you see something two or three times, like 
then you start to take note. But I do think just like, yeah, you just have to be fearless in introducing yourself. That's all there is to it. Like, also at the end busy, of the day, right? people aren't assholes you know, as much as people think that they are. You know, like people welcome people into things, you know, especially out here, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's also showing up to yeah. everything. Um, how did you go from working as an intern on someone's desk mm-hmm. to actually producing your own work? How, how do you how do you connect those? Well, dots? I said, well, the, the first step was getting an actual job out of the internship with Lori was Lori Zach was so generous um, and bringing me onto her desk and teaching me and and she was she's a person who really wants her assistants to succeed which is not a common thing necessarily in executives and producers um and then when we left the company we were at and she went under a different abc deal you know i started just producing my own stuff simultaneously as working with her it felt like kind of like having two jobs i was just like you know, work with her during the day, and I would be like putting my own stuff together at night. Sometimes that would overlap, and and it would be chaotic. But um, and then I really, you know, I did shorts and music videos and plays, and then I set up my first feature while I was working with her, and I was fortunate enough to truly get it all set up to where I was confident enough to go from one payroll to another payroll. You know, right what was now. that feature? That was adaptation of Neil Butte's play Some Girls, the feature adaptation of that. How did you get to meet Neil Butte? Uh, through the Gavin Playhouse, who I definitely consider like my home theater, and they've been an amazing part of my career as well. And I've promoted work for them over the years, and um, I'm just I love that family so much. And we had done an evening with Neil Butte, and I. Uh, I didn't host the evening, but I kind of helped promote it and stuff. So, um, and I sent Neil an email. I sent them an email to pass on to Neil just of gratitude, you know, the next day. And he responded to me directly and he was like, I'm putting up some one acts in a month or whatever. He's like, would you want to host one of my previews? And I was like, sure. And then that led to us doing a couple shorts together. And, you know, we just became friends that way. How do you get the funding for that movie? The first, the first short was executive produced by John Huertas, who was an actor on Castle. And I had done a project with John during our hiatus that I produced for him. And so I think this was partly, I mean, John believed in the project, and but also it was a reciprocal nature of we had each helped each other out. Wonderful. Okay, so again, it's the people that you've worked with helping mm-hmm. you work on the next thing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Okay, so the next question that I have for you mm-hmm. is, you know, everyone says that actors should be creating their own content all the time, all the mm-hmm. time, all the time. Um, but I also think that no one really teaches you how to make that content and what the like potential pitfalls of making something your first time right. going to be. I mean, I th- and it's interesting, you know, and I get, I, ha- I have somewhat mixed feelings on that too. I think you should make your own content, but I don't think it's just like, let's do what I, a lot of people, you have access to bigger people through, your network so try to still make something as professional and proper as you can and let the less of the less it can be viewed as a vanity project the better you know i think that like if you're like oh my friend writes and this friend directs and this one like you don't necessarily need to be like that's the way to do like who's the biggest writer you have access to in your world or the best writer and how do you get to them and propose doing a short with them. Like I said, I always want to be the like the least talented person in my orbit. You know what I mean? I, I want to have bigger. That doesn't people. make you feel insecure. Not at all. I want to have bigger people around me. I want to have more experienced people around me. Um, I mean, it, everybody has to have the right energy and attitude surrounding that. But like, no, it's part of growing. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, I want to work with actors that are bigger than I am as a producer. You know what I mean? So, do you feel like you need to come with them armed with money? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think that there's certain, it depends on the nature of the project. You know, there's plenty of actors that'll work for scale if it's the right project and that's how that project gets made. And then there's plenty of times where it's like, no, you have to offer real money to make it worthwhile. And that doesn't mean that they're not passionate about the project in any way. It's just the nature of how that movie's coming together. So it's try to be as aspirational within your group as you can. But I think with shorts, it's a whole different ballgame. I mean, like, shorts aren't money driven projects at all so it's like everybody's doing it for love of the 
I remember I was at piece. Dead Center with a with a short, and I remember seeing a short that was in there from two people who hadn't made anything before. They got Melissa Leo to be the lead, and I'm wondering sure. like, how did you do this? And they said that they wrote the script with her in mind, and they had yeah. one like tertiary connection to her, and they got uh-huh. the script in her hands, and she said yes. Yeah, and that then they were off to the races. No, I mean that's exactly. I mean, I think that that's absolutely possible. What is on your plate right now? Uh, the immediate things, which will, depending on when this is released, will be in the past or not. I don't know, but I have a big uh, breast cancer benefit that I'm producing. This um, I should clarify: a breast cancer benefit that's large, not a benefit for big breasts. But um, this coming weekend, um, I've produced for years. It's called Lay Girls. Um, it's a cabaret where a lot of film, television, theater stars perform numbers, and then. Uh, we raise a lot of money for the National Breast Cancer Coalition. And I have one in New York the following week. And then I'm shooting another short in November. And then I have a feature at the top of the year. So so you're doing all this. You're going out and you're seeing movies mm-hmm. and TV and film mm-hmm. and, and in theater and all this stuff. So when do you sleep? I mean, I, I do sleep plenty. But it's like I just don't sleep during like the traditional like, you know, hours that everybody else has. I'll sleep like three to nine or four to ten. You know what I mean? But I because I also like those early morning hours are super valuable work hours for me because like that's when stuff's only going out, you know, and not coming in. But I mean, like, I mean, and, and I that's one of the great things about working for yourself, you know, but it's like, you know. Last night, Saturday night, like I went to, I'm trying to even think, I went to a screening in the afternoon, Mm -hmm. and then I went to a play, a friend's play at night, then I went and had drinks with a friend, then I came back, watched Saturday Night Live, then I read a script, (laughs) then I went to bed. You know, so you're like so a doctor like, on call. So like, I mean, and I, so I mean, I read a whole script, yeah, on a, like a Saturday night after I had had my Saturday. What time night. did you start that script? In your mind, I, I read part of it right before I went to the play, and I read the last half um, right after SNL. Do you ever have this moment of like? I want to go to sleep, but I should do it. Or is it easy? Is it like no? No, no I mean, read this like, thing. I, it's bed. more like it's like if I don't do it now, I'm gonna have to do it tomorrow, and the time just wasn't adding up for when it was going to be before I had to meet with the person who wrote the script. So was, was that like, how your brain dealt with, you know, when like high school gets really busy and you have too many exams and you have social things? I don't know. It's so weird. Like you like, you think back to high school and how stressful that was and you're like, and it was stressful obviously in a lot of ways for sure. But then you're like, the stakes were so much lower back then. Like, you know what I mean? Like now if you don't get work done, like people don't, like doors don't open and people don't get paid. And it's like, seems much more real than just like the B to an A difference in the, an exam in high school. Yeah, but that is your whole life at that point. So it is, like- it's everything. And, and it, part of me thinks I could never go back to college. Like that I would just like not be equipped to handle that type of life. And then part of me thinks I would just be able to like, breeze through it so quickly because of how I operate now. Industry Town is now sponsored by Horrible Haikus, everybody's favorite offensive poetry game. The game is simple and perfect for actors, entertainers, or anyone just willing to look a little silly in front of their friends. I'll vouch, I played this game a bunch, I love it. One player reads out a performance card which dictates some totally absurd way in which you perform your haiku from a collection of five syllable cards and seven syllable cards. You make the most beautifully horrible 575 haiku you can and perform it out loud in front of the other players. The best or worst haiku wins. Be silly be absurd, be horrible. Horrible Haikus is available online at horriblehaikusgame.com. Check the show notes for that. And is on sale for 50% off through the end of the year. For just $15, you can give the gift of offensive poetry to all of your loved ones this holiday season. In fact, Industry Town is getting into the holiday spirit by giving two of these games away today. So for the first two people who email industrytownpodcast at gmail.com a picture, a screenshot that you are subscribed to the podcast, I will just send you a copy of the game. So send that email, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And uh, in the meantime, let's get back to Andrew. When you think about people kind of starting to produce their own things or you are producing something for people who are relatively new, are there certain things that they tend to miss like consistently or not value enough? Um, I would say definitely take care of people on set. Once they're there, they have to like they have to feel appreciated that they have to like you have to respect the amount of hours you're asking out of them um the other thing is it's like there's certain elements that like you can 
put together with friends and everything and then there's certain elements where like like never skimp on sound i think that like that's the number one way something feels amateur is when it has bad sound um and other things can be fixed relatively easily and edits can be made but it's very hard to sounds the one everyone says that that's the one that's easiest to skimp on and it's Mm -hmm. the one that'll sync your entire production right and i think you also just really need to know what it is you're setting out to make like everything even in the world of short films, like there are a lot of different types of short films. There's short films that are tiny movies that feel like small versions of features. There's short films that are a moment, you know, it's a scene. It's There's short films that are funny. There's short films that are very serious. And all those have different trajectories and places. And so like, I think people get in their minds that like, I have to make a short and this is the this is how I qualify this short success, whether it's a certain festival, whether it's, and like, that's not every path of every short, you know what I mean? And there's so short. What makes a short successful to you? It varies, you know, it really does vary. But I mean, I mean, a lot of it's like, what am I trying to get out of it? Like, even if a short was only seen by, you know, played three or four festivals, but then that led to me doing a feature with those same people, that's a successful short for me because I found out that I wanted to work with them in a bigger capacity. But I mean, the short film Skin didn't get into any festival for the longest time. And How it, long did it take for Skin to get into a festival? I mean, from when we submitted the first one to when it premiered was probably almost a year. You know, I mean, we started submitting probably in September of 2000 and. 17 I'm trying to like think and then we probably premiered in August of 2018 and where did you premiere at Holly Shorts and that's what made us an Oscar qualifier because we won that festival and then we won San Jose and it's like but like the, I was like wondering if it was going to find any life and then in the whole trajectory of that thing changed and it went the whole way you well, know let's segue to that then mm-hmm. uh, because you're the first oscar winner on this show and mm-hmm. that's just one of the coolest things to get to say uh, right. to a friend i mean she's like look at you you fucking did it man uh-huh. um did you have any idea when you get this script how did that short start for you did that did people approach you um so i hadn't the director, Guy Nativ, and his wife, who was also a producer on the project, Jamie Ray Newman. Jamie and I had known each other socially through theater and friends over the years. Um, and she had posted on Facebook that, you know, that they had lost a producer on this project and they were in need of somebody quickly, you know, to come on and step on board. And I think one of the reasons that, like, when you need someone quickly, it's like, if you're available, you're available to jump into something. If she had said, like, we need someone in eight months, I don't know, like, who knows what you're doing in eight months, especially when it comes to, like, committing to a a short film. But the fact that it was pretty soon and I was, in theory, available, and I was like, you know, I reached out to her, and I was just like, hey, I'd love to take a read of it. I read it. I thought it was extraordinary, like, one of the most powerful things I had ever read. What was it that hit you about the script? I mean, it's just, it's a full package short, you know. I mean, one, I knew that I would be able to, like, flex so many muscles in producing it, like, it would... Like there was, you know, special effects makeup and kids and animals and weapons and drones. And it's like, it just, you know, it's, it would be a good experience to remember how to do certain things, how to do certain things properly, certain things I hadn't done before. But it was just such a powerful piece of filmmaking. I mean, I don't want to give any of the twists of it away. Do you want to give the log line though? Just a basic. I mean, it's a, it's about kind of a neo-Nazi skinhead and a conflict that arises at a grocery store between him and an African-American family and the revenge that they start to enact upon one another um, and how we all lose in the game of hate, basically. And so, but I mean, it just, yeah. And then it had an extraordinary cast and it all just kind of came together lovely. What was it like working with kids and finding them? The, I mean, the two kids, Jackson Robert Scott from It and Lonnie Chavez from This Is Us, I mean, they were like, such pros already. I mean, I don't feel like it's even a fair question because Did they, they want, like, they were excited to do a short. They were, Oh, looking. absolutely. They were in, enthusiastic, incredible. Like they, they said, they're professional young actors that people who we think have like graduated past certain things. That's not a real concept that if right. the material's exciting and the people are exciting, they'll do your short, they'll do your play. Right. No, f- absolutely. I feel like that's a lesson that almost everyone in my world could really stand to like right. have it sink in on a deeper level. No, I mean, and like you know, 
I, another example of that is like, you know, we were kind of like throwing back to whatever saying it's like go outside. Like my friend Jonathan Lipnicki really wanted to do, sh- wanted to do a short film. And he kind of was like, well, I know this person that could write it. And I know this, and I was like, that's not really of interest to me, but I was like, why would we not try to get one of the best people in our world to write it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, who would you want to direct this? Who would you want? And so, you know, he was really keen on this director, Scott Rogers, who I'd, I had worked with a couple of times, both in theater and film. Um, and collectively we all talked and we kind of like, we decided that we wanted to approach Teresa Rebeck and who is someone that I knew. And Teresa enthusiastically wrote this short specifically for them to make, you know what I mean? And I was like, that's the best version of the, I mean, you have a Pulitzer Prize finalist writing this, you know, writing this piece for you versus just like a buddy, you know what I mean? And I was like, that's the way it should be. That's more, much more exciting for all of us. It's exciting for everybody. There's a really good chance the quality is better and there's absolutely a credibility indicator and a credit that's gonna help you. And, you, and like forward. you said, you never know. And Teresa couldn't have been more collaborative in the process of it, you know what I mean? So like, you really create something special when you kind of like reach higher. Wow, okay. So skin, you make it, the entire experience is is a challenge, but it's 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 thrilling. It takes a while to get into festivals. Did anyone like panic in that time? Was there any thought of like, oh um, shit, we did all this work? And- yeah, I mean, I think every, I don't know, panic might not be the right word, but I think everybody was, yeah, anticipating like this might not find life. And that's a reality. I mean, you know, it would find something somewhere and we knew it was good we felt it was good but it was also very polarizing material it was long i mean longer shorts are harder to program a lot of times um so i think that that was a part of it as well but um but you just but like it's a perfect lesson this you never know you know what i mean like you just never know what the path of a certain thing is do you have any advice for people who they have a short but they've never submitted before. They don't know what that game is like, um, how to even begin that process. I mean, obviously, well, Without a Box is, is going away this month. You know, they're like shutting down, but there's a, another platform called Film Freeway, which is a great source just to like kind of search through festivals and stuff like that. And I would say that like, you know, I'm, I mean, there's some people that just apply to festivals for places they want to go. And I think that's a, a very organic way to start the process too, but like, I would say don't, there are great festivals that are great for a reason, obviously, Sundance, South by Southwest, Tribeca, Palm Springs, but, and Holly Shorts, but there there are plenty of other festivals that are extraordinary and really great for filmmakers. You know, you mentioned Dead Center, Nashville, you know. uh, Can you make a mistake at this moment, though? Is there such a thing as applying to the wrong one? No, I, I mean, but I don't. I really don't like adapt to that mentality in any way. I think you make a decision, then you make that the right decision. I mean, that's really how I kind of look at all of this stuff. Like I think of that with actors. I think of that with, so I, I don't really think that there's like, I'm making wrong decisions or making really wrong decisions, not just like I applied to the wrong festival in the wrong order. You know what I mean? You get in, you make that festival the best experience that it can be. How do you make a festival the best experience? I mean, you go and you, I mean, or you don't go. (laughs) Um, But like you decide whether it's worthwhile for yourself to go. You invite people to it. You promote it that way. How do you promote? I mean, you can, I mean, any number of ways. You have people put it up on Instagram and send it to friends that you know in the area and, and all that kind of stuff. But do you also, do you ever hire a PR team? Do you? I would do it if it was a bigger festival and like I would hire a publicist but like shorts and publicists, it's like not until you're way later in the game. Like when you Oscar qualify and stuff like that, then yeah, you really definitely need a great publicist and we've been fortunate to have them on ours. But like, um, I wouldn't say that you do it just for a small festival. I mean, I think the, 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 the result of what you get out of that is just small. I mean, they can only, publicists can only work with what they're given to work with. What's it like finding out you're nominated for an Oscar? I mean, yeah, it was, well, I mean, with shorts, it's, you know, there's like several categories that are like shortlisted in in December. So you already know, like, at that point that you're in 10 and the 10 and that 10 will become five on the day of the nomination. So you already know there's a possibility, you know? And I mean, the flip side of that is like, everything in that group is extraordinary at that point and they're from all over the world. And so you just don't know, but you're doing screenings, you're meeting people, you know, and... 
I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I thought I was playing it really cool up until the the night before, and then I was like, oh, I can't sleep tonight. You know what I mean? So I woke up, watched it live, that whole thing. Um, and it's it's nuts. I mean, I mean did you so, scream in your apartment? No, I didn't did you scream. call your mom? Was I was the on the f- my mom was in North Carolina at the time. We watched it live together, like so. We watched it over sweet. the phone I together, like but there was like a slight delay on my end, so like she heard it first <laughs> and she kind of yelped. Um, but um, but no, I didn't. And, and then your phone just explodes, and you know, and but like you have to like make so many decisions so quickly about like next steps and everything. So. What are those next kind of steps? advertising, you know, and variety, Hollywood Reporter, setting up your next screenings, you know, like... Does anyone help you with this? Yeah, your publicist helps a lot with it, for sure. Well, in shorts, often there's not a ton of money behind them, but those things sound expensive. So Yeah, we had executive producers come on board to help pay for all that. So this is the example of the producer who's not really helping in the creative endeavor. But, like, the the skin was a unique situation because, you know, there was a skin feature and a skin short, and there was, like, some cross... There was little cross-pollination between the two, but it was concentrated so like some of the people from that were active on the feature came on board and helped finance that part of the short okay yeah okay so then you get nominated Mm -hmm. and your PR team is helping you figure out advertising and Mm -hmm. stuff what kind of things do you have to do at that moment like between then and the ceremony I mean there's like so many rules in terms of how you can campaign and what's kosher and not kosher to do you know what's not kosher to do I feel like people I mean that's why the term is like for your consideration and not vote for me you know what I mean (laughs) you can't solicit a vote you know you can say like I've made this thing and please consider it as you're watching everything that comes out this year um so like that's a big thing i mean obviously you can't bribe you can't do all those types of things but it's important to like show up to luncheons and things like that yeah right? like i get mean facetime with the right voters. and but you uh, and they go to other screens and then people are you know but that's when you're meeting people of the branches and stuff like that but you have to do it in a very organic you can't directly solicit people and while you're doing this, it's also probably starting to tour more around the country because now all of a sudden, yeah. It's I mean, we didn't do a ton of festivals before the Oscars. I mean, we've done 200 since then, probably. But like, I would say we did less than 10 before the Oscars. But they were a very significant 10. I mean, we won most of them. That's huge. Um, tell me about getting ready for the Oscars. How'd you get your suit? How did you, uh, how do you decide who's going to sit where? What the, what the fuck I mean, is that like? I mean, the Oscars are, the tickets are very limited, so it was, you know, the people on the floor were the guy, the director, Jamie, producer, Sharon, co-writer, and myself, and then there were certain people that had a block of tickets, like executive producers that were in the balcony. Um, did you think you were going to win? I mean, I, th- I, thought there was a chance, but I thought there was just as much a chance that somebody else could win as well. Um, And I really, like, we were in such a great class of other short filmmakers. They were all extraordinary and, you know, we're friends and stuff. But we're all sitting kind of like one row behind each other. You know, we're on one side of the aisle all behind each other because everybody has to be on an aisle Mm -hmm. in the hypothesis that they might win. And then on the other side of the aisle are all the documentary short, you know, Candidates, And so we're all kind of like, you know, the energy is very tense, you know, but we're at the back, you know what I mean? Gaga, I Gaga, Gaga's, Gaga's at the front and the then back. us short filmmakers are at the back. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, a, a very intense month leading. There's like a month usually between like the nomination and the ceremony. And it's like, it's just crazy. There's so much to do, but it's exciting. And I'm glad to have had the experience, and I definitely want the experience again, but I don't need it every year for the rest of my life by any means. Is it entirely fun? Or is like it's part work of work and fun. I mean, it's it's a but it is a lot of work, and it's, and it's a lot of work to do it right, and it's exhausting, and you're navigating a lot of it. And um, so, what's it like when you hear that the Oscar goes to skin? I mean, I mean, it's it's a slow motion moment for sure. You know, absolutely, and like your phone just explodes. Um, I mean, for me, it was just, like, just trying not to, like, do or look in any way and, like, just do, be as still as possible and process what was going on. And, you know, um, I didn't have a whole lot of other thoughts. I was just, like, kind of listening to what was being said and... Yeah, and you guys work out ahead of time who's going to speak. If well, I, it's we possible, didn't. We or? didn't explicitly say that, but I always knew that it would be Guy and Jamie. I mean, just like they hired me onto the onto the project, and that was like 
um, I mean, I, and he was the director, and so I think that like they, I, I think that was always uh, an understood thing, even though it was not explicitly said. Does everyone get a statue? There are two sta- statues for every. You can. There's a default one statue that goes to the director of a short, and then you can like, you can like. Um, get an additional statue so there's not it's not like there's a bucket of them but like so the film has has the two statues that live with them and then um but you can like get a replicate statue or something it's not like the serialized number and stuff because obviously like even with features you know features can get more than two but they still are limited you know it's three up to five but like it's a very like judicious process and you have to all sign off on who gets it so when, do you get like a plaque no a i mean no i mean like i mean you can like you, say, you can get a replicate that's not the exact it's the same height and weight but it's not the exact you know authorized statue but like and there's people from other films like i'm sure the green book guys have their selection of those type of things too because it's like there it's always limited in the amount of people that like produce something versus actually and you're Statues don't, it goes to the director and then it's really like, it, you know, if I made a short and and made the case for the actor, the lead actor being the most, the the one that deserved the second statue and everybody with a produced by credit signed off on that too, that could be the person, you know. So just depends. But then like there's all the, also nice things that have come about, like getting into the academy and stuff like that. Is that, that. a one to one? You win the thing, you get in? No, not necessarily. You still have to be, you know, reviewed and and put forth and all that kind of stuff. And there's specific divisions within the academy. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know that. They think it's just one big voting no, body. You, so tell me about that. Yeah, there's branches within the academy. So like I'm in the short films and feature animation branch. Yeah. And that requires what of you? I mean, the, the branch that you get accepted into is really where they feel like like you've ex- excelled, you know what I mean? The 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 aspect of the industry in which you've put your like you know made the biggest mark in um and then i feel like obviously a big component of it is voting for the academy awards but like you can be as involved in the academy as you want to be you know what i mean it's 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 you get to vote on everything or just the short films well this is the first year i'm having the experience of doing it i believe at the end of the day you get to vote on everything it's my understanding and then when it comes to shortlisting if you watch a certain number of of the eligible shorts you can be a part of the process of shortlisting them fantastic which i take i mean i've always i've voted for the spirit awards for years and i always take like like i always take voting super serious like always like you have to watch everything in a category if you're going to vote in that category I got into the TV Academy last uh-huh. year and just the amount of footage you have to watch to be allowed to vote. It's that's like a, a part time job. Yeah. I mean, it's to take it seriously is tough. It's yeah. you got to budget some time for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does an Oscar feel like? Is it heavy? Is it cool? They're is very heavy. Yeah. Super he- They're very heavy. Hard yes. to lose. <laughs> yeah, but people manage to do that sometimes. Um, but no, they're they're very heavy. Um, no, it's surreal. But I think that like the experience of it all, while it's an extraordinary accomplishment and like in it's something that can never be taken away, is like the community that comes around anything like that. You know what I mean? And that's what's really the takeaway of it is. So it always comes back like the work is important, but it's what you get. I mean, just like if you've done good work and if you've treated people well, it's very validating for them as well, you know, that when something like that happens. I mean, it's one of my favorite images in my head is the second that name got called. And I remember it like cuts to you guys. And I remember you getting up and like one second goes by and then you're like, go, go, go. We were all kind of like celebrating in our seats. And I was like, we have to get up there. Like, yeah. It's a remarkable thing. Yeah. Uh, then do you just automatically, because you have a statue, get into Oscar parties? Do you uh, just yeah, come up and I mean, say, you can now go to the Vanity Fair party? How I mean, we, Yeah, basically, like, if you have the trophy, you can get into the Vanity Fair party, which is, like, the best thing ever. What was the but, I mean, before that, you go to the governor. We went to the governor's award. Then we went to the Fox party. Then we ended up at the Vanity Fair party. <laughs> what was the most surreal moment of all of that to you? Is there anything that you're still not like, I can't. Is it just that it happened at all, or was there one celebrity encounter? No, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, the, like, you're seeing people that are, you have, like, I mean, they're really, like, I mean, there's there's meeting people, and, there are, and then there's meeting people that have profoundly affected your entire being, you know. 
Who's one of those for you? I mean, meeting Steven Spielberg, meeting Elton John, meet these people that have been so extraordinarily important for my entire life. Um, Do they give you a some larger, real attention? Yeah, I mean, they listen. And, and when you're there, like, everybody's there because they're supposed to be there. So, you know, I mean, everybody's crazy and all over the place, and there's definitely levels of celebrity within that. But, like, you can talk to anybody there. Holy cow. What was one interaction that you particularly remember? Was there like a thing that Steven Spielberg said you were? No, it wasn't even like, like I said, it wasn't even the, the, and you're also, I I wouldn't say it was like anything that was specifically said. It's just the nature of just being in the same room and sharing the space and talking to them for a moment. But then you're also watching other people do that. And like other people that are big figures encounter people that they look up to. So you're just like kind of cribbing notes on how somebody. No, you're just you're just watching it all happen, you know. So look, you've you've won a fucking Oscar. You've mm-hmm. helped produce TV shows. You put on massive benefits. What what are your dreams? Like, what have you not done yet that wakes you up in the morning? I mean, I think you still want to do things, continue to do things bigger, better. I mean, I think the dream is always like how can I provide the most amount of people with stable work in a healthy work environment you know so I think that's like growing a company a company where people feel free to do what they want to do and explore and and like have a salary to do that you know what I mean I think that's ultimately the end goal is, is that like, a production company yeah or some sort of collective I don't think it's just a traditional production company because like those can go up and down and have different you know, levels of of success, but I think that's, yeah, it's, you want to provide the most amount of people with a, a, a good place to work where they feel, you know, content. So you're talking about wanting to be a job creator, and here I am thinking that the answer is going to be like, I want to be an EGOT. Oh, no, I mean, like, I definitely want to do the best work I can in, in all mediums, you know, but I, th- I think that, like, ultimately it's, yeah, it's about, like, how can you employ people for the longest amount of time and, and pay them the most healthy wages. So that seems like very, that's leadership. That's, there's something very like kind of paternal about that. Is that always been kind of I don't think it's necessarily you... paternal. I feel like I'm stealing this a little bit. For, like when Tina Fey was asked about, Vanity Fair asked her kind of like one, one of her greatest sources of pride and she said, and obviously she was referring to her time on 30 Rock I think at this point, but it was like providing, it was like providing 200 people with a great place to work was like her greatest source of pride. That's the the John Stewart oral history about the Daily Show. That mm-hmm. was one of the biggest takeaways I had about that I learned about why he stayed in it as long as he did and what the hardest thing leaving mm-hmm. was not any kind of attention or money. It was that there are all these people who have a job because of me and mm-hmm. the show will, is an institution it will probably exist but I can't control that in the mm-hmm. same way and, and what are the stakes of that? Um, do you ever feel like you have to choose between art and commerce? Are you always able to make those things I mix? I think they 100% can be balanced always. Like, you know, I think that you have to make really firm decisions about like what's possible to achieve artistically but like I think that like doing a producer's job well is finding that balance. It's like whether I'm an artistically oriented businessman or a business oriented artist, you could argue either one, but like that's ultimately what it comes down to. And not everything has to turn a profit, you know what I mean? But everything has to turn some, I should say, not everything has to turn a monetary profit, but everything has to turn some sort of profit you know whether it whether it is artistically, personally, whatever for the people that are invested in that. So, is it possible that you, a person who has worked in the entertainment industry for over a decade, are not cynical about it? I'm hugely cynical about it. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> it sounds so optimistic, though. It sounds like no, I, I mean, get up every morning. No, and I mean, there's achieve, like, and we're always going to no. I'm like, I'm like 100 annoyed all the time by everybody. So, I mean, <laughs> um, I think that I am very aware, and like, and, you know, you're struggling. You'll you'll put a great package of a movie together, and it'll be like impossible to get financed. And then you'll sit down at the end of the night to watch something on Netflix, and you'll be like how the fuck did this get made and I can't get <laughs> my thing made um, so no I'm I think it's a very cynical thing and I think it's you know uh, with the wider access that there is to how to, to make there's a, a great thing that happens with everybody being able to make a movie and then there's an awful thing that happens with everybody being able to make a movie you know so I think you see both sides of that too 
I'm curious, when you meet new people in the profession, uh, of any part, do you feel like people surprise you or do you think that kind of instantly you know whether they got it? And that doesn't mean that they're a finished product, but whether like they're the type of person who either has something special about them or is on their way to it? Or do, do people surprise you, I guess? Oh uh, yeah, I get surprised all the time. And it's always, it's always in places that you don't necessarily think think you know what I mean like the most valuable player on a film set is not always who you think the most valuable player would be there's certain people that I would take to any project and it's not always the role that you think it would be but it's because they have some other skill that brings comfort and joy and they do their job well um, or they work harder than anybody else interesting is there any moment in your career that you think of that is just like the most surreal where you thought holy fuck like guy grows up in Charlotte and I'm here right now. It might be the Oscars, but it might have been like long before that. Mm. No, I mean, I I don't think there is a single moment that's most surreal. I mean, it's... you <laughs> Not right now. Um, I don't think that there's a, a single moment that's most surreal. I mean, when you keep in touch with people, you know, or or, or get back in touch with people from your past and they and they kind of indicate certain things or thoughts or whatever. I mean, that obviously causes a lot of reflection or when people say that they always knew or that they wish they had had the courage to do X, Y, Z, anything like that. Those are always moments that, you know, take you out a little bit. Okay. Um, So still, in terms of achieving what's next, we hit this a little bit. But like, is there a type of movie you've never made? Is there a type of play? I mean, you I haven't, haven't done produced? a studio film yet. I mean, that's definitely on the agenda at some point. Is like to make a big movie for if a studio. The, if there's a movie that that's already exists that you could have helped produce or been in charge of, what's is there one that's like, give me that one? Fuck. Like for me as an actor, if you could give me Joseph Gordon-Levitt's role in Brick. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that movie. I love that performance so much. If I could have had a chance to do that, God, I'd be so I fucking mean, happy. That's tough. I mean, I don't know if there's a single movie. I mean, there, I have movies that I love, you know, but, um, you know, I think that, like, maybe Boogie Nights, just because, like, you oh, go shit, back yeah. and you, like, look at the cast that was assembled for that movie and just how extraordinarily just aware someone had to be to put all those people together at that time and like what an unconventional way to tell the story it was and you know and it holds up so well I've watched it within the last year again but I mean yeah the idea that like in the 90s that you would have so many people together they're still so influential today they've it's like you pick an all-star grouping that's how i when i look back at like the cast of freaks and geeks you're just like holy no it's shit. very no it's very similar but i mean like the boogie nights cast is even, next yeah. level i mean that's one of the greatest movies ever, ever i agree ever made um how important is it to have a really like important or have a really full lexicon of tv film and culture to you like i mean i think it's super important I mean, I average a movie a day probably still. And, like, I think you have to always be watching and 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 be up to date on stuff. But also, like, that's the joy of this. It's one of the weirdest things as someone who coaches and teaches is you'll say, well, you know, they, they don't know the genre. And it's like, well, have you seen 30 Rock? And they'll mm-hmm. say, no. And mm-hmm. you're like, you want to do this job. And you're not aware also, of one of the most like successful the, that's, shows in the That's planet. also, like, the fun part is getting to, like, go to movies and everything. Yeah, I feel like that's this where you get to share community and share taste yeah. and, and be aware of what people are doing. So I feel like if an actor comes up to you and they're interested in working together, but then they have no knowledge of what like the kind of the right. current landscape is or they don't really have much taste, is that a turnoff? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so if people do ever want to reach out to you, the way is to support each other's work, to try to have it come naturally from being out and about in this mm-hmm. town. I think being, it's all just, just like what you were saying, it's like being a naturally curious person, um, I think just is like a big part of that. What are you curious about right now? I mean, like I said, I'm always, in, if I'm sitting down with somebody, I'm always interested in what they want to do and what, like, I mean, like, yeah, you're take this podcast as a whole like metaphor or whatever it's like that's kind of like as you go about everything it's like having an interest in what what people are about and what they're doing and um 
Is there anything? And also what's, what's next and how the business is evolving. And, you know, I think that's all fascinating. How has the business changed in broad strokes over your time here? Like I don't know if I can. Changes? I don't, I mean, obviously there's just like a, I guess the biggest change would be that there's just like a ton more platforms uh, for things to be made and released and a lot less middle ground. There's very big things and there's very small things. There's the kind of mid, mid-level mid movie has died. Okay, so if people want to be making their own thing right now, it's don't think that you're going to be a big a mid-level. I think the five to $10 possible. million dollar movie is really hard to make. Okay, so the less than five. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, wrapping up, anything that you've recently seen that you're just really turned on by right now? Movie, TV, film, anything? I saw Parasite yesterday, which is amazing. And and the less you know about it going in, the better. How do you get people to see a foreign film they haven't heard of? I can't get people, dear friends of mine, to see a movie in three months. I feel like it's I don't know. I, people I, do I, that, then we are hanging out with different people because everybody I know is like dying to see Parasite. It, it was extraordinary. Okay. Anything on TV? Anything on Broadway? Anything else? Uh, I just saw Hades Town, which that's preaching to the choir. It's extraordinary. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird was great. Um, um, anything that you want to plug? Anything you have coming up? Um, anyway, what's your Instagram? At Andrew Carlberg. At Andrew Carlberg. Uh, any projects coming out soon? Anything you want I mean, to yeah, there'll be, follow me on Instagram and you'll see it all pop up there. If people want to see Skin, where can they see Skin? You can find it on YouTube. Fox Searchlight released it through YouTube. So just type in Skin, Oscar winning short. Wow. That's a, that's a good place for us to end. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you. Thank you to John Rosenfeld Studios. Thank you to Horrible Haikus. Thanks to Andrew. And thank you for listening. We're going to be dropping episodes once per week through the new year. So we'll be back early next week with a really exciting guest. Until then, don't forget to grab a copy of Horrible Haikus for the holidays. Please keep spreading the word about Industry Town, which is available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on social media at Industry Town Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And email us at IndustryTownPodcast.com at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify, and that's it. Go see a movie this week, break legs on your auditions, and we will see you next week. Until then.